Martech Stacked, episode 18. The state of Martech in 2020 with Scott Brinker. Brought to you by Content Cow. Plan, collaborate on, approve, and publish your content in one simple and intuitive calendar interface. This is Martech Stacked, the weekly show that delves into the what, which, why, and how of marketing technology. I'm your host, David Bain. And each episode, I'll be chatting with a top marketer or a top technologist about what MarTech they use, which are their top tools, why they use the tools that they do, and how they integrate everything together as part of their overarching content marketing strategy and MarTech stack. I'm joined today by a man who's been writing the Chief Marketing Technologist blog since 2008. He's also founding program chair of the MarTech Conference Series and VP of Platform Ecosystem at HubSpot. Welcome to MarTech Stacked, Scott Brinker. Thank you for having me. Oh, great to have you on, Scott. Um, of course, you can find um, Scott over at chiefmartech.com. And that's MarTech with just the C. Why is the H missing there? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, uh, the short version was when I started this, right? There was, uh, everyone was talking about Marcom, you know, marketing communications. That was just with one M. And so I was like, oh, well, Martech. Terrible idea. Yes, it should have been Martech <laughs> with an H. If I could go back in time, I'd do that. But hey, you know, now, now it's quirky. <laughs> Look, I, I see you own the domain name with the H anyway, and that, that redirects to the C. So, so that, that's completely fine. It's just, I just find it funny that that's the brand. But when you talk about Martech, uh, on the blog, on the website, then you always use H at the end of it. So, um, <laughs> yeah, uh, perfect example of the shoemaker's children have no shoes. <laughs> I'm terrible <laughs> at branding. <laughs> well, you're certainly great at um, getting well recognized for content marketing and um, for, for all the, the, the wonderful information that you publish on an annual basis and also um, other things apart from that. So, um, if the listener hasn't guessed by now, this is going to be a slightly different episode of Martech Stacked. Um, slightly different just so we can get your state on the opinion of Martech in 2020, where the industry's come from and, and where it's going. Uh, I think that many people will be aware of you as, as the chap who publishes the marketing technology landscape, super graphic, once a year. Uh, so for any listener that doesn't know about that, what is it and where did it come from? Sure. So it is a slide uh, that I've updated every year since 2011 that tries to map out all of the known marketing technology solutions in the market. Uh, and when it started in 2011, it was something like around 150 MarTech solutions, which at the time seemed like, an, like, oh my goodness, how can there be like 150 <laughs> solutions? That's way too much. Uh, and then, yeah, just over the years, it, it really did grow exponentially. Uh, the version we released uh, in the spring of this year had 8,000 uh, solutions on it. Um, and so it's gotten to the point where, yeah, I mean, the actual graphic itself, I, I, I can't imagine that it's useful uh, for anybody, <laughs> but it's certainly from a conversation starter, just recognizing how large and diverse uh, this industry is. Um, yeah, it, it's it's continues to be fascinating to me. And is it difficult for a marketing technology platform tool provider to get on the list? Do they have to have a certain number of users or is it just a case of if it's a useful tool and a few people use it, then they can get on the graphic? Yeah, definitely the latter. In fact, actually, we now have a site for it, uh, martech5000.com. 
uh, with the H in the Martech. Hey, we invite people to, you know, uh, send us updates or submissions or things that have been acquired, uh, you know, and we'll review those. But um, yeah, it's always amazing to me. Not a week goes by that people don't tell me about other cool Martech products that I'd never even heard of before. I can I can imagine I can imagine it it will be um uh, a wonderful thing and maybe to a certain degree a burden as well because of <laughs> the, 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 you're seen as the go-to guy that has to list every single piece of marketing technology out there uh, so 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 you, you mentioned the latest graphic um April 2020 um 8000 different tools are on there I'm I'm never sure whether to call them platforms or tools are are, are they platforms if they offer multiple services or products what was your definition uh, between a, yes, a platform and a tool? A, yeah a, a, a great philosophical debate um <laughs> so i think of a platform as something that other applications then get built on top of uh, but the truth is the word platform has in most people's language become like just sort of synonymous interchangeable with product uh, so, uh, yeah, I'm, I, I'm not the language police, you know, if you want to call it a platform, <laughs> call it a platform, but <laughs> it appears that I'm the, the language police in this particular episode, but so April, 2020, the, the version that you produced, um, I really like the look and feel of it. You, you've got what appears to be islands of different categories of, of, of Martech tools out there. Um, are there any categories of Martech tools? that are new this year that, that didn't exist in, in previous years? So not this year. Um, you know, we've added a few new categories over the past couple of years. Uh, you know, uh, certainly like uh, conversational marketing became like a whole category of its own. Uh, on the data side, uh, there's a whole category of tools around, you know, like data governance. Uh, you know, really, uh, ever since GDPR, there's become like a little microcosm uh, of technologies and solutions just focused, you know, on serving a combination of just compliance, making sure people mm -hmm. are, you know, properly managing their data, but also increasingly, uh, yeah, trying to provide helpful service to customers and prospects of, you know, preference management uh, and really giving, giving the user control over, uh, you know, how the brand communicates with them. Can you ever see any categories disappearing or have any categories disappeared so far? Yeah, wow. Um, you know, there was one that disappeared a few uh, years ago. I mean, part of it is, uh, you know, we'll sometimes like either merge categories or relabel mm -hmm. them. Um, but yeah, the, uh, part of the challenge with the landscape, because there's so many products, so many solutions, so many platforms, take your pick. Um, <laughs> that we keep the categories at a really high level because otherwise we just even wouldn't be able to fit it on a page. You could argue we can't fit it on a page now. Um, mm -hmm. But, uh, you know, when you have these really broad categories, like, say, content marketing, you know, individual technologies within that content marketing category will come and go. And there's all sorts of cool subcategories that appear over time. But, yeah, since we don't really represent that on the you know, graphic, uh, it's been pretty stable. And talking about categories, are there any categories of tools that marketers tend to forget about initially that are very important or should be very important, but you don't find in a lot of Martech stacks that probably should be there? 
Yeah. So, I mean, one of the debates that uh, has sometimes come up over the uh, MarTech landscape is, okay, well, what what qualifies as uh, MarTech? Um, because one of the things I've uh, uh, tended to do is uh, have this like sort of master category of what I call management tools, you know, and they're tools for everything around like, you know, product marketing uh, management, um, you know, some of the tools that I see marketers using with uh, how they interface to finance and budgeting, how they deal with recruiting, um, even things like just sort of like, you know, management from a perspective of like, okay, is that a project management tool? Or are we using some sort of agile, you know, marketing tool? Uh, and, and, I, and I, at one level, I agree. I mean, they're not MarTech in the sense that most of these tools are not specifically for marketers. But part of why I've always included them is because when I actually look at what marketers do day to day, they spend actually a fair amount of time with these tools that, uh, mm. you know, if they don't think about them, you know, as part of their stack and how they're training their teams on them and how they integrate them to other things. Uh, yeah, I think you kind of miss a dimension uh, of what the marketer's tool, tool set actually looks like. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's important as well, because a lot of marketers tend to be the most technically evolved people in business and more likely to be aware of what kind of technology a business should be using and that's not necessarily just marketing technology they'll be aware of maybe um, maybe dealing with partners or even clients that that perhaps need to get paid for example and then they'll be aware of accounting software and how to make things more efficient um, so that the the partners are happier and um, the, the relationships that the brand builds uh, are more solid for the long term as well. So I think there are a lot of things that integrate together, but um, I think it's another example of how marketing is probably becoming more involved in other areas of the business. You, know, you can say that um, from a customer service uh, perspective and a sales perspective, it's, it's, it's important to get the, the marketing message right in there and to turn your customers, for example, into brand ambassadors as well. But then you know, to give them a great experience using your technology, I guess, will make it more likely for people to evangelize your brand as well. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's funny when you're saying like, uh, yeah, you think of marketers as, you know, the more technically savvy uh, people in the business. Um, and, and I don't disagree with you at this point, but it's like fascinating because like 20 years ago, when all this was starting, it, it was the exact opposite. Like marketers and marketing departments were considered like the least technical, um, you know, team, uh, you know, in the business. Uh, and I think it's a really remarkable commentary on just the evolution of the marketing profession and the marketing industry that, yeah, now if you are a marketing leader, yeah, you tend to be pretty tech savvy because this technology is the tools you're using, you know, to actually apply your craft. Yeah, yeah. I remember back in 2008 or so when I started as a digital marketing manager in a firm, I was probably one of the first um, uh, people to to get that kind of job role um, that that professional digital marketer job role I think at that time um, it was traditional marketing and an IT department within that firm and it was very difficult to get the two communicating and um, it was very unusual I think to have someone that could think of things from a creative and technical perspective but but that has to become 
the norm now for a top marketer to be able to understand both perspectives. Yeah, that was uh, so. That was actually how my blog started. Uh, was because back in the mid two thousands, uh, I was running the technology team at a uh, at a web development agency, and our agency would get hired by the marketing department. But then, because I ran the tech team at the agency, it would become my job to then go talk to that company's IT department because the marketing and IT departments couldn't actually talk to each other. Um, and so it was doing that shuttle diplomacy between those two departments, which was the inspiration for starting uh, the Chief Martech blog of just like, you know, how how are these coming together? Because you look at what the businesses were actually trying to achieve, and it's like, okay, this is clearly going to be entangled deeply. Um, but yeah, there was a lot of just like, cultural and uh yeah even just like professional like headspace uh, of like context that people knew what to expect uh that we had to we had to bridge um so again i i, I think it's sort of cool here that in 2020 for all the other craziness that 2020 has brought us uh you know we can sort of look back and say all right well the journey from disconnect between it and marketing to now yeah, a, a, a much more fruitful partnership. Uh, we, we, we've come a long way. So what are some examples of the newer technologies that marketers need to be aware of? Perhaps categories of technologies that have started appearing over the last couple of years that many people perhaps aren't quite embracing yet? Yeah, wow. I mean, there's there's a lot. Um, you know, I mean, again, even like uh, here we are, we're like, uh, I hope you don't mind me uh, outing this using Riverside FM, you know, for recording this, uh, you know, podcast. Uh, right. I mean, there's now a whole microcosm of specialized uh, marketing tools for, you know, uh, podcasts and videos and shows. And now actually, because of the craziness uh, with the pandemic this year, um, you know, all these like in-person events, uh, you know, that many marketers have been using as a primary channel to, you know, reaching that market and engaging with people, right? They've had to rethink that. And as it turns out, there's only so many like Zoom meetings you can sit in before you start to, you know, pull your hair out, um, you know. And so you're starting to see some really creative software uh, around how do you... How do you make virtual events really fun and engaging and try and capture some spark of whether it's the, you know, the um, sort of theater of, you know, the presentation or how do you find ways to help the audience engage with each other and network with each other? Um, so, again, I mean, you know, 2020 has been a challenging year for a lot of people, but I think one of the things that will come out of this is actually quite a quite a significant jump forward in the sophistication of virtual event technology. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think that um, one challenge that marketers are starting to have now is to differentiate their webinars, their Zoom calls, their video productions, because so many businesses are doing them now. And that, that's the core way of producing content. You used to bring people to a face-to-face -face event, but that's not possible to do now. And so many events, as you say, are going virtual. And people have started off um, just using webcams, not using um, a decent microphone and not having a decent internet connection. But they're now starting to realize that audiences are more likely to drop off if the quality of um, what's being presented in terms of the quality of audio and video as well as the content isn't up to, to standard. And one thing that I tend to say um, when businesses are thinking of starting uh, a video show or a podcast is 
who's your competitor? And um, by that, um, I'm not talking about um, who does the same things as you as a business, who does the same kind of product, who makes the same kind of product, or who does the same kind of service. I'm talking about who has your consumer's attention. And that's actually Netflix. That's actually the BBC. That's actually massive um, publishers of content, Spotify. Um, And unless, I'm not talking about being able to necessarily produce absolutely professional quality content, but it's important that you don't turn people off. And uh, unless you're doing, you know, at least um, what listeners are, are comfortable with, what viewers are comfortable with, then you're going to be switching people off. So I think that's the next kind of level for marketers to start to to up their game in terms of the, the standard of quality that, that they produce. Yeah, no, I think you're absolutely right. Uh, and again, this is why I mean, to me, marketing, I, I'm biased, obviously, but I think of marketers as the absolute superheroes uh, of our time because, you know, the amount of like new things marketers need to just keep learning and keep innovating and keep pushing forward. Uh, this is not a discipline where like, you know, you go to school, they teach you it in the classroom, you pass the exam and then, yeah, it's all smooth sailing from there. Um, I mean, really at the pace of technological evolution, not just in marketing, just in the world in general. Uh, I, I love your comment here about like, yeah, I mean, you're not competing against, you know, the other brand in your space. You're also competing against Netflix and the expectations, you know, set by, uh, you know, uh, that. Um, so I think, yeah, I mean, for marketers to you, you have to really love this like continual renewal and learning and uh, be OK with the fact that you're kind of in a constant state of experimentation for, you know, keeping up with the expectations of what's next. Does that mean that a marketer shouldn't go to university? <laughs> well, I, I mean, <laughs> university, I, I, I would say, has many a benefit. Um, but yeah, for learning uh, the latest cutting edge, uh, you know, uh, uh, marketing technology, probably not uh, the, the, the channel where you will get that information most directly. <laughs> <laughs> Was that so, diplomatic uh, enough to the higher education industry? <laughs> you, know, you can be diplomatic if you want. You don't have to be. Um, so uh, one conversation that I tend to have with, with guests as part of uh, Martech Stacked is whether or not they have lots and lots of tools or they try and limit the number of tools. Uh, and some guests you know, try and just have one or two pieces of technology that do lots of different things. And some want to get the one tool that is best in the world that, that one particular thing and tie as many of those tools together. Are, are you a fan of any one approach? I think both are valid. Um, I mean, I think what most, you know, it, it's funny because I'm like the MarTech guy. Um, people always uh, assume, well, a lot of people assume that like, I just somehow believe that like, oh, well, MarTech solves everything for you. Like, you know, if you've got a problem, just buy some MarTech, done. Um, and I actually don't believe that, you know. Um, I believe it's like 90% what people are actually doing, you know, how they're applying their craft and maybe 10% about the tools that, you know, they're wielding, you know, to amplify that craft. Uh, And so I would much rather see a marketer with a small stack of just, you know, a couple products, but really applying their craft really well on it, uh, you know, than seeing someone who has like this huge stack of all these different specialist tools but they don't really have a coherence to what they're trying to deliver to their audience or the experience they're trying to bring to life. 
you know, so I think, yes, yeah, starting simple, you know, and being successful with that. And then over time, you know, as you see opportunities to, you know, augment your capabilities, you know, for a particular, you know, experience you're reaching for or a particular audience or, you know, there's a new emerging channel. I think it's great to, you know, experiment and add in those things. But yeah, I would not judge uh, a marketer's uh, success by the size of their MarTech stack. I think the the challenge that many marketers have is that they tend to get excited about new tools and uh, new new things to play with, and you have to rein yourself in. You you have to really think about okay, what's our business goals? What's our um, standard customer funnel? Um, what is the optimum content that we want to create to reach people at the right stage and then what tools do we require in order to deliver this and i think the majority of marketers probably miss a few steps there and just jump to the tools and think wow this is this is flashy and good and uh, it's a, it's a new thing and i need to get it <laughs> yeah it's uh, well i couldn't agree with you more about the fundamentals um you know, that being said, I, I always like uh, it's always hard for me to do these things completely like black and white because, you know, well, I would say, yeah, 90 percent of the focus on the craft and getting the fundamentals right. You know, the truth is the world is evolving very quickly. There's a lot of innovation happening in technology. And I think it's OK to have like a slice of the marketing world be about oh, well, actually, there's some really cool new things coming out here. I wouldn't mind experimenting with this to see if there's something cool I could do with this. You know, mm. because uh, there's the, um, what is that, the law of, uh, I, I, I won't use the actual word, the law of crappy click-throughs. You know, <laughs> there's, uh, you know the, the, there's, there's just truth that, you know, once a certain tactic for marketing is first discovered, it, you know, can be incredibly effective mm. uh, because it's novel and not a lot of people are doing it and so it really stands out. You know, but over time, as these things become commoditized and they become best practices, you know, their their efficacy just drops because it's it's no longer a differentiation. You know, everybody's doing it, you know. And so I do think there is a part of the marketing mission that should be, you know, doing a little bit of experimentation and sort of pushing the envelope a bit to discover some of these new opportunities ahead of your competitors. I, I think it's just you want to keep that in perspective, right? Like to have like five or 10 percent of your portfolio being, you know, experimentation with new emerging uh, technologies. That's cool. Having 80 percent of your portfolio be like, oh, yeah, there's new tool here. There's new one there. Yeah, yeah that's not good. <laughs> so do you think sometimes there's a place then for marketing technology to actually potentially even drive the business model and completely introduce a new potential product or service into what you do as a business because something's possible to do now compared with a year ago? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, again, I think you have to keep this in perspective. I mean, the nature of experimenting with emerging channels is um, most experiments don't work out or the, the returns on them just aren't, yeah. you know, compelling enough to want to invest in it. Um, you know, uh, you know, this, I mean, you look at companies like Amazon and Google and, you know, companies that have really perfected the art of experimentation, uh, you know, and they, the, you know, they're very upfront. They, most of these experiments don't work out. We try these labs projects, we'll run them for a while. Yeah, I didn't think that worked, shut it down, you know, but every now and again, you know, they come upon one in there. It's like huge. It's mm -hmm. almost like a venture capital portfolio. You know, it's like, okay, well, most of our investments probably pretty risky. 
most of them probably won't pan out. But boy, that one that does become like the 10x, 100x, you know, unicorn. Yeah, it so much pays for all the other experimentation that we did that, you know, why not? Um, and I think you see a lot of this today, right? I mean, the you know, the pandemic, again, really rough year. But, you know, if you look at it through the lens of how have businesses like really gotten themselves in gear on like experimenting and re rethinking digital engagements with their customers. Uh, you know, there's been actually, yeah, a lot of business growth happening and, you know, uh, digital business that, yeah, it's even once the pandemic is over, those new digital business models are still going to be thriving just because they're better, convenient, uh, you know, uh, more cost effective, um, Absolutely. I, I think a lot of, of, of what you said there was, was, was really interesting. I mean, first of all, um, about co what companies were doing with almost turning off um, ad budgets um, because of the pandemic. I think um, the, the companies that were a little bit more thoughtful um, on not doing that too reactively will be the ones that are more likely to recover more quickly. And also what you said um, earlier on about um, e experimenting as well. It reminded me of um, a talk that I was watch uh, watching by Seth Godin recently, and he was talking about his experience within Yahoo and how he pitched his boss um, to set up an office outside the main Yahoo business to experiment and he pitched for I think it was one or three percent of Yahoo's homepage traffic to be driven to experiments unfortunately his boss didn't go for that um, but um, for the average marketer what percentage of their time, roughly, ideally, do you think they should be focusing on experimenting with new things? Yeah, I mean, I think as an overall budget of the total marketing portfolio, you know, somewhere between 5 to 10%. Uh, okay. You know, it kind of it depends a bit on your business. Like, if you're in a business that is... Right. You're reaching consumers through digital channels, like inherently like it's, uh, you know, um, you know, like a D to C direct to consumer business or stuff like that. That market's moving very quickly. And so you might actually over index a bit more on experimentation there um, versus like, yeah, if you have a more, you know, classic, uh, you know, distribution, you know, model, uh, you know, in your business, maybe you need. Yeah, you, you don't need as much like five percent, you know, is great. Um Okay. Okay. But 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 that, that's useful. Um, try and lock in um, maybe half a day every couple of weeks at least um, in your calendar just to be aware of other things that are happening and that, that may completely enhance um, your conversion rates, but just by bringing that new technology. Yeah. It's like you, you said on one hand, like there's this danger of going too far in the shiny object syndrome of like, oh, look, mm. squirrel, um, you know, right. And so clearly that's detrimental. On the other hand, to be honest, I see a lot of marketing organizations that their problem isn't shiny object syndrome. Their problem is, oh, this is the way we do it. We've always done it this yeah. way. We're going to keep doing it this way. Oh, yeah, somebody suggested we try that other thing like two years ago and we looked and we didn't think it was worth it. So, no, we're just going to keep doing this, you know, mm -hmm. because, I mean, human behavior, I mean, changes hard. <laughs> you know, you can write all Especially the for bigger organizations, you want about, yeah. you know, embracing change. It's just hard. It's, 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 it's psychologically, you know, uh, hurdles usually for individuals, but it's particularly hard in organizations where it's getting lots of individuals, you know, to converge around that. And so, yeah, I think it, for a lot of businesses, if the world is changing rapidly around you, then not being willing to experiment and change is probably a bigger risk to your business model than yeah oh my goodness we we did too much experimentation uh -huh. so there are 
over 8,000 tools, as uh, you've emphasised already in your latest uh, infra infographic, to embrace that change. How does a marketer go about selecting the tool that's right for their particular brand? Um, just, just, just any tool I'm talking about. Is there a set process that they should go about comparing different options out there and making a selection that's right for their business? Yes. Wow. There's so much we could cover on this. Um, so first of all, I, I'm a big fan in uh, like what economists would call satisficing, uh, which is so this idea instead of saying, oh, if it's, it's not worth looking for the perfect marketing stack, right? It's not worth evaluating all 8,000 tools to see which of these would be the absolute best for me. It just it, it, it's not worth that time investment. You know, and so I think what you want to do is you want to be very comfortable with the fact of, you know, you use some mechanisms like, you know, either review sites, um, you know, or recommendations from peers, um, you know, to come up with a, you know, decent set of like, yeah, whatever it is, three or four competitors you want to evaluate. Um, but yeah, don't try and worry about covering the whole universe. Uh, and then I'm also a big fan, like when you're selecting these technologies, I mean, it depends on what it is, right? If it's something like a podcast tool like, you know, Riverside FM, it's like, all right, well, you know, just get it and try it and see how it works. Um, you know, if it's something more like, you know, a major platform, you know, like a marketing automation platform or a new, uh, you know, CMS, digital experience platform, you know, in that case, yeah, you're going to go through a much more rigorous evaluation process, you know, and one of the things I really recommend to people when they're adopting these tools is to work with the sales teams to set up not their can demo, but to actually give them specific examples of like, okay, this is the process we're doing now, or this is the sort of capability we want to have. Set up a demo for me and show me exactly how that would work in your tool. Um, because, you know, I mean, again, you know, market marketing tech companies are marketers and salespeople too. You know, if you, if you let them just do their can demo, they're always going to give you something that, wow, that demo was amazing. You know, I think if you really want to evaluate the suitability of the product for your business, you've, you've got to give them some homework, uh, you know, on uh, cases that are really specific to what you're going to implement in your business. Yeah, I like the fact that you talked about talking to their sales team as well. It's not just about the technology, it's the support when potentially something goes wrong or something you can't figure out how to actually integrate within your business as well. I love actually trying a website chat of a technology vendor and if someone is uh, able to reply to me fairly quickly and answer um, my question directly, then that, that's a big positive for them. Yeah, no, I think uh, particularly if it's like a, a, a MarTech company that's selling you online chat. <laughs> yeah. Like, okay, well, how <laughs> well, well are you using your own yeah. tool? It's, it's a good evaluation criteria. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. So we, we've talked a lot about um, where marketing technologies come from. You know, 2011, having 150 different technologies on your infographic to 8,000 now. Um, how are things evolving? What's the state of play likely to be over the next year or so? Are there any new categories that you see um, making a, a name for themselves? Yeah, well, I think, I mean, I, I, I'm biased because, uh, uh, yeah, this is very much related to the work I'm doing at HubSpot. Um, but I actually think the biggest transformation that's happening in the industry right now is you had all these thousands of tools that got created but they all were kind of like built in their own little world. Uh, and it's been a real challenge for marketers to, uh, you know, sort of have the burden on their shoulders to figure out how to get these things to work together. 
And I think what you're seeing in the industry, I mean, this is why I do at HubSpot, but you have similar efforts, you know, at Salesforce and Adobe and Oracle. I mean, just across the industry, you know, the major platforms are realizing, you know, that they're not going to build everything themselves and that really the future is opening up their platforms and developing relationships with those more specialist MarTech tools, you know, so that between the platform and the specialist app, they can do the work behind the scenes to make the integration work out of the box. They can make it seamless for the way data gets synced. They can integrate it into the workflow. They can embed it into the UI, you know, because where you want to get to, I mean, like the ideal, I don't, I don't know if we'll ever quite get here, but it's like with, you know, your iPhone or your Android where you just get an app and it just, it works and plugs in. It has the same general interface and you know how to use it. Um, you know, that is the direction I think this industry really wants to go is so that it becomes just easier for marketers to harness that innovation happening across the landscape without, yeah, having to have the burden you know, of figuring out all the integration, uh, you know, technical details Absolutely. on uh, their end. Yes, to have their own API. Um, I think ideally from many marketers' perspective as well is to have Zapier integration as well if they use uh, kind of different um, different tools that um, they also use Zapier with as well and that, that's actually sometimes is the way that marketers select what what mark what uh, software to use if they if they you're using email marketing software that um, has nice Zapier integration they'll, they'll often go into Zapier again and see what CRMs are available and then see what CRMs talk nicely to their existing email software and, and make that selection because of that yeah I love that approach I think um, one of the advantages of these platform ecosystems is you know we we're talking earlier about how do you narrow down you know, a set of vendors that you want to consider, uh, you know, hiring for a particular job. Uh, and yeah, I mean, you know, basically, if you've established what is your primary platform, and then they have an ecosystem of apps that are integrated to it, you know, then that becomes a nice, easy way to say, okay, well, yeah, I want this other tool, but I, I'm, I'm really going to narrow it down to the three or four that have an integration to my core platform, because, yeah, I mean, <laughs> I, I don't want to go and have to, you know, uh, figure this out at the, uh, you know, API level myself. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, Scott, I'm sure we could talk um, for hours more about marketing technology, but unfortunately, we we, we can't um, keep on going forever. So um, I just want to say thank you so much for your time and your tips today. Um, what's the best way for the listener to find out more about you and, and what, the, uh, what, you, what you do? Yeah, well, thank you so much for having me. Um, yeah, probably best way is, uh, you know, if you go to my blog, uh, chiefmartech.com, without the H at the end. Uh, and then I'm also, yeah, same uh, thing, at Chief Martech, uh, without the H at the end, uh, on Twitter. And yeah, happy to connect and chat. And um, yeah, uh, love, to, love to talk Martech. <laughs> Superb stuff. Well, thank you again. All right, thank you. And thank you, dear listener, for joining us. If you haven't done so already, sign up for your free trial of Content Cal, plan, collaborate on, approve and publish your content in one simple and intuitive calendar interface. Plus check out all the other MarTech Stack Show episodes over at contentcal.io. Also, wherever you're watching or listening to this show, let us know your opinion. What are the three most important marketing technologies in your business? Let us know and we'll try and give you a shout out on a future show or maybe even have you on as a future guest. Thanks again. <laughs>